We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Angelica Ong of the Taipei Times. Hello, hello. And communications strategist, William Foreman. Always an honor and pleasure to be here, Gavin. Tonight we'll be discussing reports that Taiwan pineapple-loving former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo could visit the island by year's end, plans by KMT Chairman Johnny Jung to visit Washington as the party re-establishes an office in D.C., the Central Epidemic Command Center easing coronavirus prevention regulations for Taiwanese nationals returning home after visiting Palau amid lower-than-expected numbers in the travel bubble, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs facing a backlash for its too-soft response to Japan's decision to dump treated nuclear wastewater from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean, the Cabinet approving a draft amendment to a Foreign Talent Act, and some worrying news about hygiene standards at Taiwan's ubiquitous self-service or buffet restaurants. But we'll begin with the arrival in Taiwan on Wednesday of a U.S. delegation comprised of former government officials. The delegation was led by former Senator Chris Dodd, and he was accompanied by former Deputy Secretaries of State Richard Armitage and James Steinberg. And the trip was not made public until just prior to their landing. Now, it was the first visit to Taiwan by an American delegation since President Joe Biden took office in January. The presidential office has described the two-day visit as a reflection of bipartisan support in the United States for Taiwan and a robust bilateral relationship. President Tsai Ing-wen met with members of the delegation at the presidential office on Thursday, during which she reiterated Taiwan's willingness to work with the United States to preserve peace and stability in the region. Tsai also voiced her concerns about Beijing, saying China has frequently sent military vessels and aircraft to carry out manoeuvres near Taiwan, and such actions alter the status quo in the Indo-Pacific and threaten regional peace and stability. And she went on to say that Taiwan will continue to work with like minded countries, including the US, to jointly safeguard the peace and stability of the Indo-Pacific area and deter adventurous manoeuvres and provocations. The US delegation, like I said before, is being led by Senator Chris Dodd, and he spoke briefly to reporters, and he touted the close ties between Washington and Taipei. And he also said that Taiwan will find the Biden administration to be a reliable, trusted friend. And he says he has every confidence that the administration in Washington, D.C. will help Taiwan expand its international space and support the island's investments in self-defence. The US delegation has also met with cabinet members, defence officials and lawmakers. Now, the trip came after 25 Chinese military jets entered the southwestern part of Taiwan's air defence identification zone on Monday of this week, and that was the most in a single day since September of last year. But the trip was reportedly organised long before that incident took place, although some people, certain media outlets, would have you not believe that. Anyway, the trip also comes after the US State Department issued new guidelines for government contacts with Taiwan, which it says will encourage closer engagement and reflect the two sides' deepening bilateral relationship. The new guidelines were circulated within government agencies but not released to the public, but they reportedly allow US officials to hold regular meetings with Taiwanese counterparts, including at Taiwan's representative offices in America. And the policy will also allow officials to participate in meetings at the Twin Oaks building. Of course, that used to be the Taiwan Embassy or the ROC Embassy, although they would not be able to attend celebrations 
celebrations of Double Ten National Day or other Taiwan holidays. Now, State Department spokesman Ned Price says the guidelines underscore Taiwan is a vibrant democracy and an important security and economic partner that is also a force for good in the international community. So, Bill, of course, some of those comments not really new and the delegation former officials, again, not really new. No, no, I'm, I'm not in, entirely impressed with the, the delegation. Actually, you know, they're all they're all very um, high level, influential people in in Washington, but um, all very accomplished. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Richard Armitage, one of the most staunchest supporters of Taiwan. But um, yeah, I was not entirely impressed. Though I was just wondering why not a sitting member of Congress? Uh, I was hoping hoping for someone like that. Um, but but then again, it's 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 great to have these exchanges. There haven't been many, you know, during during the pandemic. This has given uh, staff at AIT a lot of time to, to get other things done. These these visits are very labor and time intensive for them. Um, but I think a lot of them are, are are really eager to start these visits again. Um, it's it's a, it's a good way to help them get the ball rolling on a bunch of different issues. You know, seeing is believing. It's an it's a for me, the Biden administration has been a good surprise. Quite honestly, before um, it all got started, um, I think a lot of people, including me, was expect was pessimistic. Pessimistic. Frankly, we were expecting a lot of rollback of uh, Trump era gains diplomatically for Taiwan. And uh, you know, Bill said it's true. Yeah, these are all formal officials. But I think that reflects Biden's more moderate, steadier um, tone. But uh, again, a step in the right direction. And I'd rather have these steady meetings that's building up uh, relationships um, step by step uh, than anything that is um, too spicy at this point in time, frankly, given um, how tense things are getting across the Taiwan Straits. Do you think that was a, a reason that former officials came, Bill? They didn't send anybody new. They sent their former ones that know Taiwan rather than rocking the boat, so to speak. Yeah, I think I, I think that was definitely that's definitely what's going on. Though, you know, they came on a chartered flight, and what I always wonder is. Uh, was anyone in the back of the plane? <laughs> were there were there guys with very <laughs> stiff posture and very short haircuts back there? Uh, you know, coming coming unannounced to to have another line of meetings. Uh, who who all, who all was really on that plane? That's always interesting for me to think about. Um, one point that you, you mentioned the the Chinese military maneuvers, Gavin, and and I, I thought one point I wanted to make was that uh, you know the incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, ICR. He always gets this right, but I'm seeing more and more on social media and on headlines that um, uh, you know journalists are equating the air defense identification zone as Taiwan's airspace, and they're two different. They're two different things. Uh, you know, the air defense zone always extends well past a, a country's sovereign airspace into into international airspace. So, I I, I kind of worry that we're giving the impression that these jets are flying right over Taiwan, which isn't which isn't happening. And Angelica, what about the new the new policies vis-a-vis meetings between Taiwanese officials and their U.S. counterparts? Of course, they kept it secret, but they let some information out. Would it be okay if I go back to Bill's point about the air defense identification zone for a bit? It's really ridiculous. If you take a look at the air defense identification zone, it actually extends 
over China. It extends over Fujian. It is so huge that it's it's ridiculous, and we can't restore redraw it for various reasons uh, for not rocking the boat, not changing anything about the status quo. But uh, like Bill said, yeah, it is um, very, very different from flying over Taiwanese airspace. And while the incursions, they are a thing, and the fact that we're no longer scrambling to um, meet with those jets, it, it, it is, it, you know, handing China at least a, um, a propaganda win, let's say, uh, for their own domestic consumption. I don't think they're a huge deal security-wise at all. Um, Anyhow, that's my piece on the ADIZ. Um, in terms of the, the meetings, I think the more the better. And um, like Bill said, again, um, the more back-channel stuff that we perhaps don't necessarily hear about, the better. Um, I think Taiwan is um, the beneficiary of some very belligerent uh, Chinese Incursions. It's not just tai- the Taiwanese uh, ADIZ. They've also been doing a lot of flyovers over the Philippines. So they're really getting uh, people riled up all over the world. So this is a great time for us to meet with um, officials and, uh, frankly, um, civil connections, any kind of strong- strengthening allies across the world. That can only be good for the security of Taiwan in the long run. What about the ban on U.S. officials attending events at Twin Oaks, though, like the double 10-day celebrations and other Taiwan holidays? That's symbolic. I mean, they can still go to Twin Oaks. They can still talk. The communications are happening. That's the important thing. Whether or not they can go when there's a, a ROC flag flying, that's the sort of like diplomatic um, mincing that I don't think we really need to care that much about. Yeah, I do. I, I think it's it's much ado about about nothing. Um, this it's uh, we need to be more more focused on the substance. Moving on now, but only slightly, and reports surfaced this week that the government is considering inviting former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to visit Taiwan by the end of this year. Sources are being cited as saying steps are currently underway to extend an invitation to Pompeo. However, the government has made no official statement regarding such a visit, with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs saying only that it always welcomes incumbent or former U.S. officials to visit Taiwan, and Pompeo himself has expressed an interest in travelling to the island. And, of course, Pompeo himself took to Twitter this week to voice support for Taiwan pineapples. Now, Pompeo featured a photograph of himself eating dried pineapple and seemingly playing chess well with himself. And he wrote as a proponent of freedom, enjoy some Taiwanese dried pineapple, checkmate. Now, according to Taiwan's top envoy in America, Xiaobi Kim, she gave Pompeo the package of dried pineapples that he's pictured eating from as a souvenir. So, Bill, Mike Pompeo comes to Taiwan. Is this... Obviously, the government liked the Trump administration. Joseph Wu, they all loved him. Now, of course, the Trump administration and certain people like Mike Pompeo left a nasty taste in a lot of people's mouths. So that's the polite way I put that. Is it a good idea if they make a big hullabaloo about inviting this man to Taiwan? And do you think the Biden administration might have something very serious to say to them? Right, right. Um, you, know, you know, on the one hand, um, who knows, Pompeo might be a presidential candidate in a few few years. Um, he's he's still he's he's influential in certain certain circles. Um, 
but I think you're right. I would ra- I'd rather see someone like Matt Pottinger, a uh, former deputy deputy national security advisor, someone who really understood Taiwan, come rather than Pompeo. You know, Pompeo was really known for giving these bombastic speeches. Uh, calling for the overthrow of the, the Chinese Communist Party. And I, I always thought that was problematic for two reasons. One is that the U.S. shouldn't get into the regime change business anymore. And the second point is this kind of rhetoric really bolsters Xi Jinping. Um, Xi Jinping can point to it and say, see, see, the foreigners are really trying to subvert us. We have to really tighten our, our domestic security measures. So I think if Pompeo does come, I, I hope he just listens and learns and, and stays away from that kind of strident rhetoric. Angelica, Mike Pompeo comes, good thing, bad thing, indifferent. Oh, no chance whatsoever of him staying away from strident rhetoric. That tweet is just ridiculous. I consider it to be the equivalent of that uh, Bush mission accomplished uh, photo we all remember so well. Uh, Taiwan straight checkmate. Are you kidding me? Um, right now, uh, things are tense. Nothing's solved. And uh, he's playing, instead of pl- putting a chessboard in front of himself, he should be putting checkers boards because that's the level he's playing at. Um, I would like to add pineapple munching to the political lexicon as a, um, something meaning uh, an empty gesture of political solidarity without actually providing any support. And that is, in fact, what the Trump administration and Pompeo has given Taiwan. They have not made us safer. Unfortunately, Trump and Pompeo has made a lot of Taiwanese friends through these empty diplomatic gestures. But when push comes to shove, I think... Um, They've just antagonized China in a way that um, really doesn't make us any safer at all. So you don't think he should come? (laughs) I would really (laughs) prefer that he not. Of course he has his Taiwanese fans, uh, but I I don't think they've really thought the whole thing through. I mean, frankly, let's let's put it this way. If... uh, People like Trump, people like Pompeo, they're the one turning up the heat on the Taiwan Strait. But if the Chinese come, they're not going to be around. They're going to be sending their thoughts and prayers from the U.S. So not a good idea was the consensus there. Now, in a planned and proposed trip going the other way, KMT chairman Johnny Jung is reportedly planning to visit Washington this year to mark the re-establishment of, well, the party's office in the U.S. capital. Sources are saying that Jung also plans to meet with U.S. officials while there. Now, reports have not put a date on the trip, but they say it could take place when the coronavirus pandemic has slowed. So go figure, between now and, like, 2025, maybe, who knows? Anyway, the KMT has, of course, been working to reopen its office in the United States since it was voted out of office in the 2016 election. So, Angelica, Mr. Jung goes to Washington. Uh... It's it's really hard for me to have an opinion on this because the KMT have made themselves so irrelevant. Uh, but um, I, I guess it, that's a thing. And uh, um, hopefully he tries to uh, do something there that's going to put the KMT on the path to becoming a bit more relevant. And Bill, what, what can he do? I mean, when he goes to Washington, are people going to look at him and go, OK? Or are they going to say, ah, oh, good, good bloke? One thing he needs to do is to repair the the Nationalist Party's reputation and brand in Washington, which has really taken a beating uh, in recent years. You know, a core part of the, the KMT brand has been that it's consistently anti-communist, right? Um, and it's also... Sp- 
had a reputation for being the grown-up party, the party for adults, the reliable, the reliable party that you could count on that wouldn't do anything rash. And and in those two areas, it's 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 uh, it's really taken a beating. Um, you know, it's uh, you have elements in the in the party that seem to be cozier with Beijing than than Washington. And with the, the last presidential election with Han Guoyu, you know, it's uh, they're not really the mature adult party anymore. So I think uh, Johnny Jung, he really needs to go to Washington. They need, need to set up this office. They need to to work on their reputation and restore their brand. And what could the office do? Oh, this is a lot of outreach on, on Capitol Hill. Um, a lot of work with the think tanks, staying in touch with the think tankery in, in Washington. This sort of thing really pays dividends for them. But doesn't the KMT have enough like support in the U.S. to do this without an office? Do you think? Because of course they did survive this long without an office. Yeah, I mean it's um, the support in 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 the U.S. Uh, it's all about it's all about having messaging. Uh, re, a refresh of their messaging, of their of their vision, of their brand, and being consistent and sticking to that. So uh, farming that out, outsourcing that out to different elements in the U.S. probably isn't a good idea. For me, the KMT has become just a joke of a party here in Taiwan. Even people who are pan blue or do not like the DPP. Um, if they're under the age of 45, frankly, they wouldn't be caught dead describing themselves as KMT. And I think what what Bill said before about um, uh, the suspicion, and frankly, I think a lot of Taiwanese people believe this, is that they have been infiltrated and co-opted by the CCP. There's way too much of that coziness going on. And um, um, that suspicion um, is ruining their chances of being a party that people can stand behind, even if people believe in their policies. The KMT has the opportunity, I believe, it can do several things. If it can draw clear lines between it and the CCP, if it can do a better job of of um, distancing itself from its the bloody legacy, frankly, of the party of killing and oppressing people, and then position itself as a sensible center-right party focused on bread and butter issues, then I think it has another chance to get another start. But right now, they are a political irrelevance, and frankly, the only thing they seem to be good at is trying to kick President Tsai in the ribs um, by, you know, I don't know, throwing organ meats around or trying to torpedo her uh, third liquid natural gas uh, terminal, stuff like that. So there you go, Bill. Busy, you're going to be a busy man in Washington if he goes, yeah? Uh, he'll, he'll be very busy. <laughs> yeah, he'll have a, a, a lot of work to do. Let's move away from politics now. Now, we talked about the Taiwan Palau travel bubble in a recent show, but it was revealed this week that it's not quite the big draw that many had hoped it would be, as China Airlines has been forced to cancel its scheduled flight to Palau tomorrow under the bilateral travel bubble due to very low demand. Such low demand, in fact, that reportedly only two people had booked themselves on the flight. Now, according to China Airlines, it's already cut the price of travel bubble flights as Palau is part of promotional efforts 
And it's also encouraging travel agencies to do more to, well, be in more innovative in promoting tours there. But the carrier says demand remains so low that it's been forced to cancel other flights, but it's not saying whether more flights will be cancelled in the coming weeks. Now, the Travel Agent Association of Taiwan this week cited the low demand for Palau tours to the epidemic prevention measures in place for people who visited Palau under the travel bubble after they returned home. But the Central Epidemic Command Centre has now revised those rules in the hopes that more people will opt to take a trip to Palau. And Palau's president, Surangala Whips, is welcoming the decision to ease the coronavirus prevention regulations for Taiwanese returning home after their visits. And he said this week that that was the best news he's heard all day. So, Angelica, do you think you had a very quiet day that week, Mr. Surangal Whips? Because obviously it was the best news he'd heard all day. Well, I have to tell you, I'm in the rare position of being somebody who's wanted to go to Palau way before the coronavirus um, epidemic hit because I've just heard such magical things from a friend of mine who's went. There, do you know there are uh, lakes there where the jellyfish have been trapped over the millennium, so they've lost their stingers. So you can swim in this magical lake full of jellyfish without being stung. That just sounded so magical. And they all have also have these like beautiful, beautiful um, jungles and uh, this uh, marine, like they call it like the, the shark superhighway where you can just kind of observe them swimming back. I mean, it all sounds absolutely great, but I did not consider going to Palau this time because of the um, coronavirus measures coming back. So I think it's huge news that that is being uh, ratcheted down and that will make the Palau bubble, I mean, that'll pay, make the Palau experience a lot more attractive to people. They also cut the prices bill. It was tw- Apparently it's 25,000 NT before for a plane ticket and now it's 20,000 NT. That, that's right. Maybe not enough uh, reduction. It's Palau is a lovely place, but Palau is not Paris. And I, I think it's, it's yeah. But I think most people are thinking it's not really worth the hassle of, of going through this, and maybe it maybe you just hold off for a few more months before before travel starts to open up. And, and a few months, you're a bit optimistic, there, mate. Really, I'm, isn't you? I'm always an optimist. <laughs> I'm always an optimist. Yes. And of course, there was talk this week, Angelica of Thailand becoming a travel bubble partner with Taiwan. Well, that will certainly be. I mean, the Taiwanese love going to Thailand. I love going to Thailand. Now, there's a travel bubble that's really, really worth looking into. But do you think, I think, Bill, maybe a travel bubble to Thailand might have more strict coronavirus regulations when people return home than Palau? Oh, most definitely, because, yeah, it it will be getting a lot of traffic. People will be mixing with a lot of other people and certainly be stricter regimes in place. But, I mean, Angelica, what did people actually think when they... Obviously, there was a big, big, big hopes for this travel bubble. Didn't work too well. But, I mean, what do you think the public was thinking? Do you think the public was thinking originally, oh, we can just go there and come back like we just went down the road to buy a loaf of bread? Well, that's what I assumed when I first heard the bubble. And then when I looked at the extra restrictions, then it's just not worth it. After all, you know, we're all working people. We have to maximize... um, the amount of time we spend on holiday, the fact that you'll be taking off so many days to be in quarantine, frankly, just makes the whole thing totally unappetizing. And Bill, do you think maybe they should have kept the travel bubble until the summer when the schools were out? Yeah, that would have been, I think that would have been a better approach, most definitely. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials.
Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Thursday was forced to step up its official line after news about Japan's decision to dump treated nuclear wastewater from the wreck Fukushima Daiichi power plant into the Pacific Ocean. Now, Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Joanne O oh told reporters that her office has now lodged a solemn representation concerning Japan's recent decision and conveyed the concerns of different groups in Taiwan to Japanese authorities. That statement came after the government faced a barrage of criticism from opposition lawmakers and environmental groups over its initial statement on Tokyo's plan. The ministry earlier this week issued a statement saying only that it was highly concerned with Tokyo's moves. Critics, needless to say, slammed that, calling it too soft, and the KMT called on the government to lodge a solemn protest instead of just being highly concerned. Now, Tokyo has said the wastewater, which will be which what had been used to cool the melted fuel in three nuclear reactors damaged in the March 2011 earthquake, will be released after treatment in two years. Now, here in Taiwan, the Atomic Energy Council has also objected to the plan, and it says it's requested Japan provide updates in a transparent manner for future scientific examination. It also says that it hopes Japan measures radiation-associated changes in international waters and marine species near Taiwan and provide it with all relevant data. While the National Nuclear Abolition Action Platform issued a statement declaring its strong opposition to the Japanese government's decision, warning that the radioactive water could cause environmental contamination when released into a marine environment. So, Angelica, I'm highly concerned about people dumping nuclear... Well, technically treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. Do you think that was a bit of an understatement? Frankly, the nuclear statement is so political that... um, you really have to separate the two. I don't think the water is a huge concern, frankly. I I think the problem more is how it's going to affect Taiwan's um, nascent efforts to uh, get its nuclear program started again. Um, I, I After covering energy, I have done a huge 180 on nuclear. I used to be against nuclear. I used to be worried about all those things that people um, are told to worry about. And after looking into it, um, I think it is uh, the best chance we have to combat our real enemy, which is global warming. Um, and uh, it's, it's so unfortunate that Fukushima happened when it did, because if not, um, the fourth nuclear plant will probably be, be up and running and providing Taiwan with cheap, reliable energy right now. And Bill, dumping sort of radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean, obviously not a good thing, but Japan said it's going to treat it. But of course, Taiwan's water and Japan's water, well, they sort of meet somewhere, don't they, really? Right, right. Not a, not a cool thing to do. There, there's also kind of a, a geopolitical angle to all of this. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough dilemma for the Taiwan government because they have the environmentalists and, and public on one side and then Japan, uh, an ally that they're really trying to you know, strengthen relations with and get more support from. And on the on the background of all this, there's the, the Japanese leader will be visiting Washington soon. And there's been a lot of talk about a, a joint statement coming out from the U.S. and Japan that, that mentions mentions Taiwan. And that would be a that would be that would be big news. At the same time, there's been a lot of reporting about how Japan is feeling uneasy, feeling pressured by the U.S. to be more vocal about China. Um, it's trying to, you know, deal with China, a huge trading partner, but a huge threat at the same time. So you have this really interesting kind of geopolitical mix going on right here. And Angelica, do you think, obviously, Tokyo dumping radioactive water in the Pacific Ocean, obviously a concern to Taiwan's fishing industry. 
But do you think this will help the anti-nuclear movement here? Yes, I think it will. And it's a huge problem. I wish the Japanese could have hold off on this for all the reasons that Bill mentioned. We are looking for more cooperation in the region, not less. And dumping nuclear active water in <laughs> at this point in time, it, it just doesn't seem like it's a smart thing to do. Um, Fukushima caused the huge problems for uh, a huge black eye for nuclear all over the world. And the Japanese really just need to take responsibility for that. Can they not just hold on to that water um, until uh, things get a bit more sorted out? Um, we're talking geopolitically and we're also talking about Taiwan's efforts to restart its nuclear uh, power plants. Uh, I know that it's against President Tsai's uh, stated policy to shut down all the nukes, but where is that power going to come from? Right now, the energy mix, we're at about 12% nuclear. That's going to go down to almost zero by 2025. And um, again, not clear where that power is going to come from unless we burn more coal. This is terrible for the people of Taichung, a huge quality of life issue, plus contributing more to global warming. Um, it, it's just terrible all around. And uh, in terms of the geopolitical stuff that Bill was talking about, Taiwan and Japan need to become really good friends really, really fast. Uh, we need this to happen because uh, the regional stability depends on it. Taiwan is basically Japan's tailbone. If um, if, God forbid, something happens and we're now controlled by China, Japan will not be able to sit easy at all. Anyway, moving on from nuclear-treated water to the Cabinet on Thursday, approving a draft amendment to a Foreign Talent Act as part of government efforts to relax regulations governing foreign professionals in the country and hoping, well, hoping these regulations will attract more people to come here to work. Now, according to the Cabinet, the draft amendment to the Act for the Recruitment and Employment of Foreign Professionals could enable foreign professionals to come to Taiwan and stay here for good. Well, there you go. And the National Development Council says the draft amendment will also allow foreign special professionals who possess special expertise in science and technology, economics, education, culture, the arts or sports to enjoy even greater tax concessions. Now, under the terms of the amendment, those professionals could enjoy extended tax deduction treatment from the current three years to five years. And that means that during the five-year period, should their annual income hit 3 million NT, only half of the amount over that threshold will be included as gross income in the assessment of an individual's income tax liability. Both the professionals and their family members will also be able to enrol immediately in the National Health Insurance System instead of having to wait for six months. And if they want to apply for permanent residency here in Taiwan, they will be able to do so after three years staying in the country instead of the current five years, provided they've been here for at least 183 days each year. The amendment, of course, still requires approval from lawmakers. So harking back to your days at Amcham, William, um, these professional acts, these let's let's look, let's let the let's give greater tax rebates and big refunds and tax deductions to people who work in the science and technology sector, economic sector, education sector, culture sector, arts and sports sectors. Do you think this is actually attracting people to Taiwan? I think eventually it will. It's a, it's a very positive development. Um, I've, I know a lot of very talented people who uh, aren't here because of the high taxes. A lot of them stay in Hong Kong. I mean... Taiwan will say, hey, our, our tax rate is, is, is much lower than other places, say, than, than European countries. But the thing is, Taiwan isn't competing with Sweden or Denmark. It's, it's really competing with, with Singapore and, and Hong Kong and these places that have a, a much lower tax rate. This is very important. 
And what about the residency issue, Angelica? Of course, some countries, if you if you open a business, if you go there, if you're a professional, you get a job in a certain sector, you're basically given residency straight away instead of having to wait for it. Whatever Taiwan is doing to liberalize foreign talents coming to Taiwan, it is not enough. We have been shamefully behind when it comes to welcoming uh, foreign talents or even just... People wanting to become Taiwanese to come here. It's a horror show and it's a black eye to our attempts to portray ourselves as liberal, international. Uh, We've really done very badly on the multiculturalism. I feel like foreigners coming to Taiwan are terribly stereotyped and... uh, um, uh, the attitudes can be very alienating and prevent them from actually feeling Taiwanese. I have friends who grew up in Taiwan who hasn't known any other country but Taiwan, really, um, since they were babies, and they, 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 don't have, they, don't, they, they don't have citizenship. And I find it cruel. I find it unfair. And I also find it very, very um, contrary to Taiwan's own interests. We are a island with a um, falling birth rate. We need economically um, the uh, energy that's going to come from attracting the best talents from around the world, indeed people from around the world, workers from around the world. And Bill, could they argue that basically it's not just foreigners come, attracting foreigners here, there's also the problem of other countries and other countries basically attracting Taiwanese to go work in them? Yeah, it's... it's uh the global competition for talent is just fierce now. It's fierce. And um, so Taiwan is facing it from both sides. And what do you think? Do these concessions are enough or do it need to do more? Um, my point of view on these types of things is that, that uh, like Angelica said, there's always there's always more you can do. But it's it's really great that we're seeing them being progressive here and, and applying some fresh thinking. And of course, Angelica, you mentioned the residency thing. Oh, do you think oh, that could make this could go both ways? Of course, you mentioned foreigners that grew up here, were born here, but can't get residency. And of course, the government is giving certain people residency. And you know, is this certain people? I mean, does this cover people from all over the world? Do you think, or do you think it's, it focuses on certain countries? I think it's picking and choosing in a way that's kind of gross. Uh, we have people who are work coming to Taiwan and doing the work that Taiwanese won't do, uh, migrant labor, and there are so many limits put on them and so little protection. They are exploited, they are excluded, they are looked down upon, and I think it's a crying shame. One of Taiwan's um, cases to the international community for why we should be protected is that we are um, a model Asian nation. one that's modern, one that's democratic. And I think we have to include uh, modern global standards for being accepting uh, and being racially inclusive and open in that. And Taiwan has fallen short of the mark on that front. Of course, t- multiculturalism there, Bill, you're going into there. Obviously, some countries in Asia, Malaysia, Singapore, pretty multicultural, yeah? Oh, Japan and Korea, though. And Do you think Taiwan sits in the middle of those two? Or more towards the Japan and Korea side? I think Taiwan is more toward the, the Japan and, and Korea side. I mean, Hong Kong Hong Kong is another place that's a, a truly international kind of city. Um, I still think Taiwan is far from that. Then what could it do to become that, Angelica? Well, I, I think, first of all, uh, 
letting people stay here and treating them with respect is a huge part. And it, again, I have to reiterate, Taiwan needs to do this for its own economic interest. Uh, the cultural insularity is is not good. We're suffering, in addition to turning uh, immigrants away, we have been suffering from decade upon decades of brain drain because of how undynamic our um, job market is. Wages have been stagnant for um, decades, really. And uh, it's uh, giving uh, every bright Taiwanese kid the idea that if they really want to make something of themselves, the only way to do that is by leaving Taiwan, going to Shanghai, going to Hong Kong, going to America. Um, we have to have a fundamental mindset change when it comes to what's good for Taiwan. And that means being more open, being more open to businesses, capital ideas. That's going to drive a more dynamic economy. That's not just going to help foreigners come to Taiwan, become Taiwanese, and contribute to the economy, but it's going to make Taiwanese young people actually want to stay and see a future here. And before we go this week, the Consumers Foundation on Wednesday released the findings of an investigation into hygiene standards at over 100 of Taiwan's ubiquitous self-service or buffet-style eateries. Now, according to the foundation, it found that 35% of the 125 restaurants inspected earlier this year potentially ran the risk of exposing customers to pathogenic bacteria or viruses as cashiers prepared meals without washing their hands before touching the food. Ugh. The foundation noted that several improvements have been made, though, since the last investigation in 2020, but it went on to say that cashiers in more than one-third of the diners touched food, either when filling bowls with rice, picking up food with a spoon or a clamp, or cutting meat or serving dishes. And, of course, it went on to warn that that's a very good way to spread germs. So, Bill, have you been to a buffet restaurant recently, and have you inspected <laughs> the cashier's hands? <laughs> I think an another piece of this is that they... they did a study of the, the bacteria on the surface of banknotes. I know, right? I didn't want to say that. I was <laughs> going to let someone else say that. You can say it. How, tell, tell the listeners how much bacteria is on a banknote. 75% of all the samples collected contain this bacteria that I can't pronounce, Staphylococcus aureus or something, which causes infections, and 17% had colon bacillus. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah, that with your lunch. Yeah, <laughs> But I... I am a I am a fan of the the cafeterias. There was one near my old office that I went to on a regular basis. I'm a connoisseur of 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 Kong Pao chicken, Kong Pao ji ding, and they had a fantastic version of it. But it was one with uh, they had everything was behind plexiglass, and and people would 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 serve you. You weren't breathing on the food or touching it. Um, but I, I was curious about these places that the Consumers Foundation audited or visited. So the, 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 the cashier was also serving food. I have Usually the ones I go to, the cashier is pretty camped out in, 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 a, in, a, in a one, one spot, in one position, and isn't serving food. Angelica, would you go to a buffet restaurant after reading this? I, I go to a buffet restaurant just about every other day. And they're <laughs> a mainstay for me. And I think once you walk in, you've got eyes. You can see what's going on and decide your own comfort level. Let's face it. Uh, food standards, food safety standards is not exactly a thing in Taiwan. There's going to be outrage if you had food inspectors going out there and uh, writing tickets to every agong and ama out there making rice balls and handling money with 
um, absolutely zero compunction. I mean, buffet restaurants are really not the worst of it at all. Um, but then you have to look at the other side of the coin. Who are the Taiwanese getting sick? Apparently, we just have very strong constitutions. <laughs> I've heard more cases of food-borne um, safety issues—sorry, uh, uh, illness issues in the states than I do in Taiwan. It just seems like everybody just get along with it. Maybe it, it is really like they say, like a a, a little bit of the. The, the poison keeps you safe. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think we're just all exposed to this ambient level of bacteria that is that is keeping our innards quite hardy. Well, yeah. Bill mentioned the plastic over the food, because not all of these places have plastic over the food, do they? No, no, not all of them. I, I think again, this is something you can see with your own eyes. I know some Taiwanese friends who are incredibly fastidious. And, of course, they wouldn't go to those places. Other Taiwanese people, they really like to get down with the street food, and they would hate um, government um, government bureaucrats to go around and, and clean up their favorite eateries because, for them, it's part of the ambiance that you've got these little hawker stalls in night markets. And uh, so I think... Give people the choice. They can see with their own eyes whether the cashier is also handling the cash um, and come to their own decision. Freedom, man. I just want to pick up a point Angelica made about um, safety uh, safety standards here. I'm going to jinx myself saying this, but, but I, I rarely have any kind of stomach issues here in Taiwan. When I lived in China... Every other week, <laughs> la dudes. Every other week, I was having having something come, some type of gastrointestinal problem. So I think um, my sense is that going back to the scales, um, uh, Taiwan is much closer to Japan than it, than it is the, the China in this respect. And I think that's where we'll leave it here this week because, of course, gastroenteritis and stomach problems <laughs> are not what we want to be talking about now. And I've been joined in the studio today by Angelica Ong. It's been a pleasure. And William Foreman. Had a lot of fun. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out the Taiwan This Week podcasts on your favourite podcast apps and we can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.